from the palmetto swamps to the piney woods to the oak flats you're listening to the louisiana bowhunter podcast All right, guys, episode 43 of the Louisiana Bowhunter podcast. Locke and I are on the phone today with Scott Poche, who is going to be walking us through how to get over your debilitating target panic. Got an excellent episode coming out today. This is one that uh, I need to listen to. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm super interested in this because I have this problem big time, and that's kind of how this came about is... I, I posted very uh, vulnerably that I was having issues with target panic. I had lost a few deer, and it came out that a lot of you, a lot of you are struggling or have already struggled with this. And, um, you know, I really got to say, just as a side note, y'all are awesome for the support and the feedback and the help. I mean, I've got to say, you know, with the Internet these days, there's a lot of places where you know people just beat you down and you know throw salt in the wound and the louisiana bowhunter community page is not that so you know y'all are awesome but um anyway scott poche thank you for joining us this evening man oh you're welcome so so scott's in marrero louisiana and he is the owner of crescent city charters he's a charter captain fish uh, fishes full-time and on top of that, he is also a level two USA archery coach as well. Um, and we were referred to Scott by um, uh, by Sammy at Shags. When I posted the fact that I was having the best worst season ever and all of that uh, on Louisiana Boner community, Sammy called me. And, um, you know, a few years ago, Sammy was shooting a crossbow. You remember that, Scott? And, um, you know, just like every, every able-bodied person that shoots a crossbow, it's, you know, easy target, a little rib jab and a little make fun of. Right. And, um, and he said, no, you don't get it. Uh, I'm tired of losing deer. I don't want to go through that heartache anymore. And, and, and Sammy was the first person that kind of, um, uh, changed my perspective a little bit to the, 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 point of shooting a crossbow because you don't have confidence in your personal ability um it's not a physical thing it's not a you know weapons choice it's not that like sammy had he had pushed himself into crossbows because he didn't want to go through the loss of another big deer because of a a, um, self-inflicted problem essentially and his problem was target panic and accuracy and um you know, this is uh, this is one of those times where I, you know I eat crow. Of course, me and Sammy are close, so I rib jab him just like all good friends do. But I, I caught it. I've got the the um, uh, it's contagious apparently because I have developed this, and Sammy referred you, Scott, and he gives you all the credit for getting him back into shooting a compound. He's shooting um, a new Matthews this year. He's already killed a couple of deer, right? Um, yep. so he's, he's back in it and, uh, I'm proud of him and he, 
Look, when Sammy calls you and he's worried about you, you're not getting off the phone until you tell him that you're going to get better. <laughs> you know? That's it. Um, and so, uh, anyway, I'm excited to learn from you. Uh, we talked this morning, and rather than me ask you, hey, Scott, how do I get over this? What's the process? What did I say? I said, hey, let's hold off. Let's do it on the podcast. Let's go through it on the air and let's figure out, you know, if I'm having the same troubles others are and see if other people can learn from it. Um, so I've got a lot of questions about, you know, the process, blank bailing, um, you know, other uh, exercises to do. And then also, you know, there's a lot of people that um, that said, hey, you switch to a thumb release or um, do this or do that. And so we'll kind of go through a couple of those together. Um, but uh, before we get started, um, Locke's going to tell us about this week's sponsor. If you've been listening, you've you've heard that Relentless Boats has sponsored many of the episodes this season. And uh, we just want to say thanks to them, a local Louisiana company making some really impressive custom aluminum rigs, uh, surface drives, outboards, whatever you need. You can check them out at relentlessboatsla.com. And right now, um, if you follow along with me a little bit, you know that I'm involved with the uh, Camo Performance Apparel Company Scree. And Relentless has some new performance hoodies with the Relentless logo embroidered across the chest for sale on their website. So uh, check that out. Um, that's, it's a really nice hoodie. And uh, some other apparel and stuff like that. The brand's really growing. People like the marketing. So um, check that out. But also, if you're in the boat market, uh, you can't beat them. Check them out at RelentlessBoatsLA.com. Hey, I'll add something to that. Locke, you and I have talked about this. I've got the, uh, I've got Mr. I Love Cotton over here. Like, I love the, like, the Academy Game Winner Special, like, postseason $5 t-shirt guy. That's me. Um... I've got the the ptarmigan jacket that that um, hooded down scree yep. jacket, dude. I would I would bathe in that thing if I could. I love that jacket. I, it's it. I, I actually had this conversation. A friend of mine. I went and hunted with a good friend of mine on his place in Mississippi this weekend, and um, he's got some scree, and he's he's one. He's he's much like you in that he is unabashedly uh or maybe that's not the word but frugal. he is unafraid to mix <laughs> well not necessarily frugal just he is unashamed to just mix and match whatever he feels like wearing yeah so he's got a little bit of everything but um you know he's gotten some scree through me and stuff and and i was sharing with him that the jacket what you know what's so cool about it to me aside from you know how warm it is and comfortable and all that kind of stuff is it weighs 16 ounces oh and it rolls God. up in a little pouch the size of a, a, a not even a full size football, like it's the size, the size of a JV football. It's the wow. size of a Nalgene bottle. It's the exact yeah, size of a Nalgene bottle. Yeah. It's it and, and it rolls up, but when you put it on, it's the equivalent of wearing the heaviest jacket that you would ever own in the South, you know, in terms of just insulation and warmth. And so it's a pack jacket, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's it's authentic goose down and if, if you're familiar with that kind of stuff a lot of companies use primaloft which is an uh, uh synthetic mm-hmm. down and it works don't get me wrong but you know like most things in the world you can't beat the real thing yeah and um yeah that goose down is is something else so well the way that i use it 
is um I I I I always pack it in. I never wear it to the stand because I always I I, I would I would burn up if I did. And so I have it packed away in my backpack. Like I said, it's it's just a little bit bigger than like a, a large Dasani bottle when it's all packed away. So it packs away nicely. But um, it's super light. I carabiner it onto my pack with uh, with a little pouch that it comes in. But it's it's so light, and then it's it's just God that thing's warm, man. And I have I have yet to overheat in it. Like like I truly have not gotten too hot in it. It, it on Sunday yesterday. It was thirty seven degrees in the morning, and it warmed up to sixty two by like three o'clock because I did an all day sit on public yesterday and, and I saw like seven deer and I never took it off. I never took it yeah. off. I mean, it, it was 100% the best example of the difference in performance apparel and, you know, more standard fabrics and standard, you know, type of hunting clothes. It's, it's without a doubt. If you, if you could, if you could have me give you one example, you know, the best thing I could give you to show you, you know, an example of what the difference is. Merino wool is impressive. It's 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 amazing to wear merino wool base layers. But if I had to pick one, it would be that jacket. The, you, it's just hard to explain to somebody. You're trying to tell them that this thing is packs up and it's super light. And it's it's it is. It's it's literally a two X ptarmigan jacket weighs sixteen point four ounces. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you hold it in your hands, and it's like, this is nothing. How can this be warm? Yeah, it this, feels this thing like nothing. Is nothing. It's lighter. It is literally as lightweight as an early season long sleeve t shirt. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and it's like, how can this thing be warm? And you put it on, and it will literally burn you up. You cannot walk in it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, that's a huge plug for Scree. Uh, more, more, more of the fact that I'm just massively impressed with this stuff because it has, um, you know, it's not very often that I personally think of clothing as gear. Okay, um, I think of clothing as something that I, you know, obviously I have to have on every hunt, and then I either increase or decrease the amount of gear that I take depending on weather and conditions and all that stuff. But like that thing. It, I, got, I think I told you, I wore it down to 8 degrees with a negative wind chill of like negative 3 in Illinois with two base layers and a t-shirt. Two base layers and a t-shirt and that jacket in 8 degrees and was fine. And then I'll wear it all the way up until 55 or 60 degrees in, in, in Louisiana and in the south. Um, that's where like, kind of the line is. Probably 50, 55 degrees is the the coldest I would wear it, and I probably would just have a t-shirt under it. But it's it's so universal for temperature, man. It's like you got a 40 degree swing there that um, that that will suffice, and I'm just super impressed with it. So, um, well, anyway, let's let's get on. Sorry, Scott. <laughs> uh, we'll we'll get Scott's like I don't even know what the, the, the scree is or term again with a P. You know, um, but uh, anyway, let's get on to this week's episode, which is all about how shitty of a season and how fantastic of a season I'm having at the same time. Um, So if you haven't read my post on Louisiana Boner Community, I have a post about how I've lost multiple deer this season. Um, 
I have never, I, I'll be very honest here, I have never had a, a season that I did not lose a deer. That has never happened to me, um, unfortunately. The, the lowest is one, and this season is the highest, and I would be embarrassed to tell you the number. But I've had a lot of encounters. I've had a lot of deer come by. I've lost two extremely nice bucks on public land. Extremely nice, like in the probably in the low 130s each. And um, I've had... I've had deer that should have been chip shots at 18 yards. I've had deer that should have been, you know, should have been dead in 20 yards at 45 yards that I messed that up. And, you know, before I get into the, um, I guess you could say the mechanics of how I'm screwing this up, because I am at fault here, and that's what Scott's going to help me and ultimately y'all with, um, I have to give consideration to the, the fact that there's a lot going on in my life right now. And as, as sad as I am to say this, a lot of times here recently, like during the season, a lot of times the only time that I shoot my bow is at an animal. And I'm saying that out loud so that I'll stop doing that and practice more. And it's a dangerous thing to do, but I think a lot of us do that. We, 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 hunt set Friday, Saturday, Sunday, put our bow in the case, break it out next Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and never shoot it for three, four, five weeks in a row unless there's a deer that comes within 30, 40 yards. And um, mm-hmm. what what has happened is I'm here to tell you, you don't retain it like you think you do. It is not riding a bicycle. The, the mechanics of pulling a bow back is like riding a bicycle, but the mental aspect of it is not. And Absolutely. and I am struggling with this big time. And um, I, I'm to the point now that when I shoot an animal, I do not allow myself to get excited until I find it. And that is upsetting because um, that period in which you're shaking uncontrollably and um, and really, really anticipating climbing down and finding your deer and blah blah blah. I that that time period has been replaced with two hours of self doubt for me, and almost this dark place of you know, am I going to find this one or not? And um, everything has to do with shot placement. This is not a conversation about equipment. This is not a conversation about um, broadheads or arrows or setup or mechanical versus fixed. None of that shit. Okay, so get that out of your head. This is this is me. This is Kyler screwing up all of his opportunities. And the most frustrating thing is, and I'm not going to, I don't mean this to sound arrogant, but I can find a deer. And I can get within 20, 30, 40, 50 yards of a deer or multiple deer. And I can do that repeatedly. And that is something that I I hang my hat on and I'm very proud of myself for. And it's taken me years and years to be able to read the woods the way that I can today. But I'm not executing the most important part of this whole thing, which is a ethical shot on an animal. 
And um, that comes down to this thing that I wasn't aware of existed until about a year, about two or three years ago called target panic. And target panic, Scott, and you tell me if I'm explaining this well. Target panic is the inability to hit where you want to because you're afraid to hit the spot. Would you explain it that way? That's correct. So it's, so, so it's not the fear of missing. Panic. It's not the fear okay. of missing. It's the fear of hitting, right? Correct. Yeah. That's correct. All right, go ahead. So so target panic is not a disease. You know, some people are going, oh, I got, uh, it crept up on me. I got target panic. You know, and, and there's a lot of pros that talk about this. One of the greatest things is the internet and YouTube. You can, you can go on YouTube and type in target panic, and there's so many different, videos from pros that shoot competitive archery that can help you out with this as well. And they'll explain it in detail, but it, and what, and you know, like one, one guy, George Riles is his name. He's a well-renowned coach and a super good competitive archer. And he has actually a video on this and he explains the same thing. He says, target panic is not something that, Oh, I, I watched my friend shoot and, Oh my goodness, I just got target panic. Somebody mentioned the word target panic and now I have it. It's not a disease that just comes along. It's a it's a mental block. Yeah. You know, archery is a game of mental. And it's it's just something that, that comes along and a lot of people struggle with it. Even pros that shoot competitive archery and that on top of the game, they come down with it also from time to time. It's it's a lot about what you were just talking about about nerves. It's a lot about nerves also that, that affects, you know, that an archery shot, but it, it's just a mental block that comes in. And a lot of time it's, it's more of a process, you know, it's skipping the process of the shot and looking for the result of the shot. Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely relate to that. Um, uh, you know, uh, my buddy Chad Bear, he, he shot, a big buck a few years ago and he called me uh, after he shot it and talked later that afternoon. He never found it. And the way that he put it and this, this man, this rings so true to how I guess what I'm doing as well. He said, my problem was that I envisioned holding that deer's antlers before I pulled the trigger on that bow um, or on my release. He goes, all I could see was me holding his antlers and I forgot to make a good shot on it. Um, and, and a lot of people, they, they look at the horns and, you know, they shoot at horns. They, I mean, they, they look at the antlers and it's like, oh, it's a good one. And they don't take the time to actually place the pin and find a small spot and put the pin on that one spot and then execute a good shot. Yeah. They just, they just come down, they see hair and hammer the trigger with a finger. And whether it be a thumb release or caliber release, they just come down as soon as the pin sees fur, hammer the trigger. Yep. You know, and when that happens, so when you hammer a trigger, you, you can move, you can pull away from your anchor position. There's so many different things that you can do wrong. And exactly what you were just saying earlier about bow hunters are probably infamous for doing this. They, they take their bows out just before the season. They fire a handful of shots. They can hit a pick a plate at 20 yards. Oh, that's good enough. I'm ready to go. And and that'll creep up on you when you're in the woods. You know, and and 
actually more practice is better, but good practice is what you really need. Yeah. You know, so it, it's, it's a concentration deal, you know, and, and what happens with a lot of people is when they, they do drive-bys, they'll, they'll draw back and they'll put a pin on something and they let, and they watch the pin go back and forth and their fingers dancing until that pin gets close and they just hammer on the trigger. Okay. Drive-by, you, know? you call that? You said you said that's called drive-bys. Yeah, it's called a drive-by shot. You know, you, it, when you when if the if the if the bow is wobbling back and forth on a target, and you you're sitting there anticipating a shot, so your fingers just kind of bouncing. And I see it all the time with people shooting in the range and and so forth. Their fingers just kind of dancing over the top of that trigger until that pin crosses, and when it does, they hammer down that trigger. Mm-hmm. And they can't shoot a good, they don't shoot very good groups. They come all over the place. So, you know, one of the things is, okay, teaching somebody to, to shoot a shot execution is one of the most important things of all. And when you're shooting, when you're shooting a, a, a target, when you're shooting spots, you know, when, or, or indoor tournament or indoor targets type stuff, you know, it, it's totally different than when you're in the woods. You have, you can stand there, you can pay attention to your form. You can pay attention to how your, your shot execution and so forth. And when you're in the woods, that all goes away because if you're standing in a, if you stand in a stand and, and, and it's a different angle, you're shooting downward, or, you know, you get in an uncomfortable position, there is no form. All you can do is just put the pin on there and pull through the shot. Yeah. But the most important thing is pulling through the shot and not hammering the trigger, you know, but, but more importantly is placing the pin on a spot, picking a spot, placing the pin there, and just let the pin float and pull through the shot. And that's the hardest thing for a lot of people to do. You know, and that's what big, the biggest part of the target panic is. You know, it's it's I'm gonna I'm gonna drop this pin down and just hammer on the trigger. So and, and, I've got a que- I've got a question for you. Uh, maybe what's what's normal in um, actually lining up a pin. Do you think it's more normal for people to start below the target and raise up to it to fire or to start above it and lower down to it to fire their shot? So it's a, it's a little bit of both actually. Some people will actually come over the, come down on the top of a target and then lock up over the top of it. Okay. And then drop the bow and shoot and just hope that it falls in there mm-hmm. because they can't they can't let their mind relax. They can't let their mind relax and just watch the pin sit on the spot. It's yeah. like if that pin hits the spot, they have to hammer on the trigger. Yep. And that's yeah. the hardest thing to get past. It's it's relaxing your mind, you know, to, to, to where you can actually just let the pin sit on that spot and and pull through that shot nice and easy and let it happen. A lot of people can't do that when the, whether they come up from the bottom or they come up from the top. Either way. They'll come up from the bottom and then they'll hold on the bottom and lock up. I that's what it, I that's what I do. I feel like I feel like somebody's holding my arm down underneath the deer. With a hundred pound weight on top of it. It's right? like it's like I have a person standing on my arm, not Correct. allowing me to to go up any higher. That's a, so that's I, a mental. Block. I have I have this issue, and it, honestly, it's not the whole reason. It's not the only reason, but it's one of the reasons I've never really got into any any sort of competitive archery in terms of uh, you know shooting dots because 
I, I don't know, Scott, if this is a common thing in this in this situation, but for me, if you put a 3D target out there or I'm aiming at an animal in the woods, I can hold the pin on anything. I mean, you, 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 you go out there and draw a pin dot on a 3D target, and if I can if I can see it and find it, I can hold on it. But you put a block target out there with you know with five dots on it, and I have the same issue. Now I come down from the top, but when I right. hit the top of the dot, it's like it's like there's a force field around that dot, and I cannot make myself keep the pin on that dot because you're and anticipating the shot. You're anticipating you you you're anticipating the result, and not you not the, the shot execution. Not, I've never been able to active. figure out why. I've never been able to figure out why I don't have the same issue because you know they have these 3D targets that have the, you know, the vitals are. I actually have All one. The uh, the 3D, yeah, they got rings, and I have one now that that has kind of like a three, like 3D, kind of cut out of the vitals drawn on the side of the 3D tar, on the side of the deer, you know. Right. And the mm-hmm. heart is actually painted red, and the lungs are painted black. You know, so you can identify, and I can hold that little red heart-shaped, you know, blob on the side of three's target. I can hold right on it without any real issue. But the block target that's sitting right next to it, I cannot hold on a dot on it to save my life. And it's been this way my whole life. And I, I it blows my mind because you would think, and like logically, you would think I would be more amped up over shooting at an animal than just shooting at a dot. You would think. You know, I, I in my mind, I think I, I question myself all the time. Like, why are you worried about hitting the dot? Shouldn't you be more worried about hitting the heart of an animal? I mean, shouldn't that be a more something that you anticipate more? I guess that's so, just always been you know, weird the, for me. What it, so the, the the deal with the with the dot is, are, are you keeping? Are you going to keep the score if you're shooting these dots? Because and and you know, typically in, in competitive shooting, you start shooting at a target. There's score, there's points, in, you know, involved in it. So you start thinking about a score, and that's what happens with a lot of people. It's uh, the same exact thing. They're thinking about a result more than a shot execution. Yeah. So yeah. one of the things to to help that out is to draw back, put the pin on that dot because that's the one that's giving you the trouble. Put the pin on that dot. Put your finger on the trigger, whether it be a thumb release or you know caliber release. And just and don't shoot the shot. Just stare at it and let your mind relax and say it's okay. It's okay that I'm not getting to float on that dot. You do this for a little while. You you, you know you do it 25, 30 times. Draw back. Put the pin on that dot and let it sit there. Put your put your finger on the trigger and lay some pressure on that trigger. But if, do you float your finger on top of that trigger before? Fire it, I or did a, you actually lay down on it and pull through the shot? Yeah, I have a, um, I shoot a, a, a thumb release. Uh, okay. Just, uh, Do you punch whatever, the thumb, Carter? No, I'm, I'm actually, um, I, I'm pretty good with not punching. Um, that's something that so I've just, gotten just better. I mean, I've, you know, I've dealt. So the I've sight dealt picture with is it. your issue more than anything, and a lot of people yeah. is a, that's their problem. They lock up on the sight picture. So they have to work. You have to work on the sight picture and and putting the two together. It's more about yeah. our shot process than it is worrying about if that arrow is going to hit that dot. It's going to happen. You know, if you work on 
letting the pin float on that dot and pull through the shot like you normally do just to put your thumb on it and activate it with back tension where there's a way it's supposed to be done, which a lot of people just grip the, you know, snap the trigger and yeah. hope that it hits. Yeah, yeah. So w- w- what what advantage does, if any, does a thumb release have over a regular wrist release or, or, or some that type of that type of release? So every one of them are all the same. You know, you have a back tension release, which would be a hinge, you know, where you, you pull through a hinge. You have a thumb release where you activate it with your thumb, and it's supposed to be done by wrapping your thumb around it and pulling with all of your fingers until that thumb fires and not actually hammering it with your thumb to make it go off. Mm-hmm. And the caliper is the same thing. A lot of people put it just right on their fingertip and let their fingers dance on top of it until the pin gets there and just hammer down, which actually you want it to be kind of in the past your fingertip in the middle of your next section yeah. of your finger where you can wrap your finger around it yeah. and make a hook, if you will, and then pull on it until it fires rather than hammer down on the trigger until it fires. Yeah. And I see it all the time, especially with guys with caliber. Your, your thumb and your, your, your first finger – there's a direct connection to your brain. You feel everything with our thumb and our finger. It's just, it's just, it's just a direct connection. So when you when you're on that and you put your finger on that thing right away, your mind says shoot. When that pin hits the dot, your mind says go. Yeah. So it's hard to disconnect it. You know, it takes it takes some time. It takes some process to get to get rid of that. When my finger gets there and that dot gets close, go. And it's it it, it takes a little bit of work to get it done but it's not impossible everybody thinks oh my god i'm i got i got target panic i got the disease i'm done <laughs> you know i'll never make a good shot again <laughs> which it's furthest from the truth it, it's just relaxing your mind it's okay to watch that pin go on the target and pull through the shot it takes a little practice to do it there's a couple of different ways you can do it the first way to do it first of all is to stand in front of a target at five feet away don't even put a target on on you, you know, whatever target like you're using, whether it be a block or a bag or whatever you shoot. And you draw back, put your pin in the center of the target, close your eyes, put your finger on your trigger, and just pull until the, until the shot goes off. And when it, when you get a hang, the first couple of times, it's kind of like, whoa, what just happened? You know, because normally you're used to just, all right, it's a command deal. I push the trigger, it went off. So when you get used to doing this, you do it 25, 30, 35 times, over and over and over and over. That's getting the feel of what the shot's supposed to feel like when it's done properly. Then you can put you. Then you can go back to take the sight off the off the bow, or you can put a target up at five yards. And you just put the pin right in the center of it and get a big target to start with. Get a big dot. And train yourself to just put the pin at that in the center of that target at five yards and relax and just pull through the shot. And then after you do this, you want to do this two to three days, four days a week. And just even if you shoot in that same hole over and over and over, continue doing this and then you back up a little ways. And you do it again, and you back up a little ways. I'm talking about, you know, feet, not 
don't go from five yards to 25 yards. Now I'm cured. I can do it because it's going to come right back. Yeah. As, as you back up to that distance, it's going to be like you just started all over again. So you, you train yourself. What you're doing is relaxing your mind and say, okay, it's all right for me to watch that pin float in the center of that target and pull through the shot and make it happen. And eventually, after you do this a little while, it'll calm your mind down to where you can, you'll be able to put that pin on no matter what distance you are, what angle you're shooting, whether you're in a tree stand or you're on the ground or you're ground blind, whatever, whatever you're shooting, you'll relax yourself to, all right, I can put this pin on there. And I can put my finger on here and I can pull through the shot without hammering the trigger. All right, guys. Louisiana Bowhunter Shop of the Week brought to you by Tacticam. Today we're on the phone with Mike from Austin's Outdoors in Opelousas, Louisiana. Mike, thanks for joining us today, man. Uh, no problem. Good to hear from you. You too, buddy. Where, uh, where are y'all located? We are at 207 North Railroad Avenue in Opelousas. And y'all are inside of St. Landry Lumber, right? That is correct. So if you're familiar with St. Landry Lumber, they have a big um, a deer night out kickoff every uh, kind of pre-fall, post-summer type thing. Um, really big blowout event. If you're from the area, you, uh, I guarantee you know about it. Um, but uh, So where are y'all located in the store? Uh, the archer shop is upstairs. Okay, so y'all have, I know you've got apparel up there on one end, and then y'all have... Um, I mean, I'm not going to lie, a very professionally and quality built-out area. Like, it, it is, if I'm not mistaken, high-end Cypress, things like that. Like, it's, it's it looks very nice up there. Yes, sir. It's actually Western Red Cedar. Red Cedar. Very cool. Now, um, tell us what brands of bows do y'all carry? Uh, Matthews Mission. Bear, Elite, and we just started with Botech. Awesome. Well, congrats on that, man. That's exciting. Um, anything uh, anything else cool about your shop that you want to let us know about, like indoor ranges or anything? Uh, we have a 20-yard range. You know, anyone who needs to sight in real quick, you know, they're more than welcome to do that. Uh, we also have a, a pretty good line of crossbows as well. Okay. What crossbows do you have here? Uh, crossbows, we do 10-point Mission, Raven, uh, Excalibur, we have a few Carbon Express, uh, and Centerpoint. Uh, Very nice, man. Well, um, anything else you want to add before we jump off of here? Uh, just hope everybody comes and sees us. Absolutely, man. You should see some uh, some increased traffic. We've gotten some good results, uh, feedback from people saying that they get a, uh, a good amount of people come in and say they heard about the shop from the podcast or they came in because they heard it on the podcast. So that's the whole thing. Um, whole reason we do this is uh, try and get some more traffic into y'all's door and, and uh, see archery grow in the state. So uh, we, we do appreciate it. And, and, yes, we need to do everything we can to grow the sport of archery. Absolutely. Well, um, look, Mike, appreciate your time, and uh, I'll see you soon, buddy. Thank you. All right, buddy. Have a good day. So so that method, uh, compared to this, this other one I'm about to bring up to you that was suggested to me, that method uh-huh. is the, the point of it is to build re- re- repetition and to build confidence and, most importantly, to build, like, a comfort in good habits. Would you agree Absolutely. with that? Okay. 
shot execution. It, it, it helps you build a shot execution. Listen, listen to this, and you might, uh-huh. you might, you might just catalog this as possibly the worst advice you've ever heard. But everybody's different, and some people actually um, operate better in the world with consequences. Mm-hmm. And, and so tell me if you've ever heard anything like this. I shot, I'm going to start this with a very quick story. I hunted all day Tuesday, New Year's Eve. Took off work, hunted all day before the sun came up. And um, I got a, um, I got a, uh, one of those like three in one. It's like a hand warmer, flashlight slash cell phone charger thing pack and um I, my my battery had like 10 percent battery so i went to go plug it in well the cord was bad so i had paddled down this slough like 1400 yards into my spot and i was like well i can't make it the rest of the day on 10 percent battery so at at like 12 30 climbed down got in my pa- got in my um, my pyro went back to the truck got a different charger cord but on my way out i knew the wind was going to shift uh, for the afternoon hunt so i was like okay i'm gonna move my set to a different ridge and i marked a ridge like i marked an exact spot where i wanted to hunt went to my truck ate lunch got a charger came back it's now 145 about an hour hour and a half later pull up to that spot on the ridge and it this is the first time in my entire bow hunting career that this has ever happened and i hunt public land a lot I pride myself on two things, finding deer and not finding people. And do you know that there was a person in that one hour that was sitting? No, no, no. I never put my stand up. All I did was mark where I wanted to hunt. And then I kept paddling. I was like, this is the spot. This is perfect for the afternoon wind. It's got hardwoods. It's got oaks dropping. It's got palmettos. It's got a flooded slough. We're hunting in water. Like it checked off all my boxes for this area, right? I get back there, guy sitting in the tree that I was going to climb. There was no stand there. There was no flagging. There was no indicate. There was nothing, nothing. And when that guy, and so I pulled up, and he didn't hear me paddle up to him, and I, I, um, I clicked at him like with my mouth. I went like that, and he looks over his shoulder, and he looks. He looked at me like, like he was like, what the hell are you doing here? And I looked yeah, at him like, doing? what the hell are you doing here? You know? And like, and, and so I, I thumbs up to him and I went to a, I went back to a different ridge to, it wasn't a great spot for that hunt, but I was like, look, I'm not going to blow this guy's hunt and, and jump in front of him. So I gave him that ridge and I moved on, got back to the truck. He was waiting on me. And I said, hey, are you, it's dark, and I couldn't see, he's got a headlight on his head, so I couldn't see who he was. I said, hey, man, you you the guy that that I paddled up to earlier. He said, yeah, that was me, because I just had to, uh, I just had to meet the person that snuck, the only person that's ever snuck up on me. And, um, and I was like, I needed to meet the person that was the only person that's ever been sitting in the tree that I planned to hunt ever. That took you when out your sail. Oh, well, not really. No, no. It actually didn't, Scott. It, I categorized that as like, well, goddamn, good, good on you, dude. Come yeah. on. It, like uh, you're back here too. Kudos. We, we're, we're going to be all right, you know? And, um, and so 
we talked, got got each other's numbers, and, and talked about the area. And he's been hunting for years. And he's like, "Yeah, you're the only other person I've seen paddle back here." I, you know, so you can imagine how surprised I was. Blah blah blah. That next day, New Year's Day, I hunted a ridge south of him. He hunted the same spot because he left a stand overnight. I had a buddy with me, and um, had a south wind. And when I paddled under him about 400 yards underneath him um i kind of pushed some deer into him uh with my scent my my century and we're hunting totally different places but there's really no way for us to get past each other without interrupting some some way but we're going in by boat and so anyway um i got a nice buck what he said was the dominant buck of the area on camera, I'm not on camera. Sorry, he, he he. I got him up on his feet. He was on a on a doe, and um, he passed by. Uh, this guy's name is Kevin. He was shooting traditional. He only hunts traditional, so he, he came by him at 35 yards. Couldn't do anything about it. He texts me. This is at like 10 o'clock. He texts me. It says, "Big bucks, big bucks on his feet, possibly headed your way behind a doe." A couple of minutes later, a small eight-point comes by him. Same situation, can't get a shot on him. A couple of minutes later, a small, about two hours later, a small six-point goes by him. Long story short, at about um, about 1130, because this spot has a lot of midday movement, a little six-point walks by me. About 1135, a little eight-point walks by me. And I'm sitting here, and he texts me. He goes, those two bucks are on their way to you. I can see them, you know, walking down the slough. Don't shoot either of them. The, the big one's behind them, most likely. And, and eight minutes later, big buck comes walking through. And let me tell you, if you need to add, it's just as a side note, if you need to add another way to differentiate a mature buck versus a, a, a immature buck, an immature buck or a young buck, one to, I don't know, two and a half, maybe maybe three and a half years old, and I'm hunting water, okay, they will pick up their feet and they will drag their toes on the top of the water and set them back down very loudly. There is a, you can watch them, they will drag their hoof on top of the water, okay, and, and you can hear them very clearly. They walk very heavily, very loudly. That big eight point, snuck up on me it was straight up foot forward straight down straight up foot forward straight down straight up foot forward toes hoofs whatever never touched the water except for when it was entering and exiting only and that deer got within about 50 yards of me in water before i ever heard him and if i'm really being honest i actually saw the ripples is what caught my attention and another thing, he had to go over a palmetto, and he hit a little spot in the in the palmettos where he couldn't go under them or around them. And just like a horse would jump like over a fence or whatever, this deer reared back on his haunches, lifted his front feet, jumped over that palmetto, never made a sound. This is a foot of water. Never made a sound. It was like watching an Olympic diver, you know, not make a splash. And, um, and so here, you know, it's a long story, a lot of setup, whatever. Here's my point. Those two small bucks passed me at, at, um, at 27 and then 32 yards a piece. And, um, 
I was I really thought that Big Eight was going to take the exact same path, and he ended up breaking off a little sooner into the thicket. And I had him. Uh, well, my rangefinder died same day. Got water in it. Didn't have my rangefinder, but I've I have shot a lot of unknown target 3D courses in my life, and that's helped me out tremendously. I ranged this at 50 yards um, in my mind. Like, where he was going to pass was 50 yards. And it ended up actually being 46 because when my buddy helped me search, we ranged it. It was 46 yards to my tree. That buck came by at 46 yards, and I shot him high and back in no man's land, like in between where the top of the lungs and the liver are, right at the back strap below the spine. And I got a full pass through in water. Thought I heard him crash, didn't. He actually just was crossing a deep spot, and we never found that deer ever. Back to my point. This guy, I called him the next day, and I said, man, I never found that deer. We grid searched. We gave it like six hours. We went we, well, went back the next day. Like, we, no, There's no vultures. There's no nothing. I've been buzzards. There's no nothing. I think he's still alive, personally. I think he's gone. But what this guy, Kevin, told me, he goes, oh, you got target panic? I can fix that real quick. <laughs> I said, okay, what's this? He goes, "He goes, are you a consequence guy or are you a comfort guy? And I was like, uh, I'm kind of a consequence guy. I like, I like hard stay away from areas, you know, like I like hard boundaries. And he goes, what kind of car does your wife drive? And I told him. And he was like, oh, it's a nice car. He was like, put your target in front of her back glass. And then hold it and do not come off the middle of it. And if you get, <laughs> he goes, and shoot. He goes, shoot your regular round, like shoot 5, 10, 12 arrows, whatever. But put your target on the trunk of her car and shoot at her car. And he goes, I promise you will not get off target at all. He goes, no, you won't. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, well, damn, man, that's intense. And I was like, but. That's not a bad point. That's that's a hard boundary, right? Because because that's the consequence method. And then you just told us about like the the comfort method. Um, right. I, have you ever heard anything like that? So what you did is you make the you're making the shot incredibly tough. Yeah. So you you actually have to force that shot to to work. So you have to you have to burn that pin. Yeah. You know, when I mean burn that pin, you actually have to watch make sure that pin. That center that target because the consequences are if you miss, if you make a mistake, you're going to bust a glass or you're going to hit the car. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's kind of the, it's kind of the same thing. What what you're doing is you're training your mind that it's okay that I can I can let that pin sit there, and I'm gonna I'm gonna make this shot work. It's kind of the same thing of what I was saying. You know, you have to, and then you're gonna you're gonna make sure that you make a good shot on it. Yeah. So. Because you're going to pick a point. You're going to pick a spot. You're not going to just throw a pin up there or lock up on the bottom of it and hope that you bounce it up and pull the trigger and it's going to hit. Yeah. Because that's what's happening I... right now. You said you lock up. So when you when you pull back on a deer, do you lock up underneath it and then lift up and shoot? I do. Uh, the first one that I, the first buck that I lost this year, actually, uh, I remember it very vividly. Um, I drew back on him and when I lined up my peep sight with the housing of my sight 
I was not ready to shoot yet. I, I like I wasn't mentally prepared yet. I hadn't gone through like my per, my personal shot process. And when I lined up those two circles together, that pin was exactly where I wanted it to be, and it freaked me the hell out. And you dropped down underneath and and started pulling back up. And no, actually, I rushed the shot right then and there. Okay. Um, and I ended up clipping a limb, and I really don't know where I hit that deer, to be honest, because um, I never found him. But um, but it, it, it really freaked me out. Like when I pulled back and that pin was exactly where I wanted it to be and I wasn't ready to shoot yet. I felt extremely rushed, very rushed. So um, let me ask you a question on these other deer that passed by, have you ever drawn back, put your finger behind the trigger or not even put your finger anywhere near the trigger? Have I have started doing that. Put the that. pin yeah. on the deer and, and just watch them just stand there like, okay. All I have to do is put my finger here and pull through the shot, and you're done. Yeah, have you so, ever tried? so I have started doing that. I did not do it on those two bucks before the big A point, but I have started doing that. I've even started doing it at deer at a distance, like 50, 60, 70 yards out, you know. Right. Um, because, and, and, and I do it. Um, I do it because obviously the further the way they are, the smaller they are, the smaller the spot you're aiming at. And, and so I have started doing that because I've realized that I don't struggle to shoot my bow accurately. I struggle to shoot my bow accurate, accurately at a deer. And it, it's a, this is a comfort thing. This is a confidence thing for me. And it, the, you know, I, I, it's so strange for me because I am not a worrier. I am not a worst case scenario type of person. I am extremely confident. I'm extremely mentally strong. And this is a like, I feel like I'm in somebody else's body right now. And so what I'm doing is I'm doubting the situation. I'm doubting the chances of the deer not ducking my shot or blowing, you know, that, you know, like something out of my control. And so because of that, it's almost like me avoiding to get on target is also technically me avoiding a bad shot, if that makes sense. Um, you know, I've been thinking about this a, a whole lot. Like, who the hell are you, Kyler? You know, this isn't you. And um, and I think it's just, like, my personal issue stems from lack of preparation. I have not been practicing as much as I should, and I'm... I'm and most bow hunters don't. And I'm punching... Yeah, punching the trigger. Most bow hunters don't, exactly what I said. They'll pull them out of the case. They'll knock the dust off. They'll go in the backyard, shoot 25 arrows. They hit within a six-inch circle and say, that's good enough. Yeah. You know, and, and when and, – and they don't practice sitting in a chair, shooting back behind them, shooting in different directions. You know, and, and of course, when, you, when you're bow hunting, there's never a perfect, comfortable shot. I'm, I'm not going to say never because it happens, but – it's, it's not the perfect shot right in front of you, 20 yards, broadside. I'm just going to pull back, put the pin there, and fire the shot. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's the shot presents itself, and you have to make it work when it happens. Yeah. To give you a, a cool story that happened to me, it's crazy how, Kyler, we, we, we joke about how we, we piece this thing together every week, yet we somehow always have very relevant and – you know, good conversation mm -hmm. and good things to talk about. But so 
how this worked because I had no input on what this week's topic was going to be. But this happened to me on Saturday, so it's kind of it, it plays right into what we've been talking about. So, you know, if you've been listening, you know the story about the deer that I shot a couple weeks ago. Yeah, and so I got shot. Scott, if you don't know, I, I shot a big buck here on the property at my house that I've been hunting all year, and I shot him broadside straight through the guts and didn't find him i found him i I trailed him to a pond that night and found him floating in the pond four days later um but in that situation you know very vividly and very clearly i can tell you what happened i hit the deer up and down perfectly i just hit him back and and what happened was i was paying so much attention to my shot process that I didn't pay attention to the fact that the deer didn't stop like I thought he was going to. He kept moving forward and went through my feet. Yeah, so I was paying. Once he stepped up out of that ditch, I was anticipating he was going to step up and stop. And I just made that assumption without watching him. And I went through my shot process and he kept moving forward. Which, you know, was a mistake in and of itself. But nevertheless, it, it wasn't a target panic thing i hit you know like i said up and down exactly where i was aiming i just hit back because he stepped through hit back. yeah so saturday morning i'm hunting with my buddy uh we were just talking about that with the screen thing i went hunting on his place and he put me in a stand in a, a big swampy flat and it rained so much last week you know all of us dealt with that there was a lot of standing water potholes i mean that swamp's always wet but it was even more water and so um the stand i'm in is looking down a road that runs through the middle of this big bottom that they they basically just mowed that road in the summertime and um so i got like a hundred yard long straight away straight in front of a 15 foot ladder stand but all around the stand i'm sitting in probably 10 yard circle around the stand is a standing water from all the rain so long story short this buck uh comes and he kind of comes from my right through the open hardwoods and he hits the road about 80 yards in front of me and he starts walking straight to me and when i say straight to me i mean you couldn't have drawn a more straight line i'm looking right in the center of his eyes on a road straight in (laughs) walking straight to me and when he gets to that water he's 10 yards from me and i film everything i've got film of this he I'm standing up with my bow in my left hand, my right hand on the remote control arm of the camera filming him. And when he gets to the water, he stops and he can't decide what to do. He can't decide if he wants to walk through the water or if he wants to go left or right. And he has not given me one angle, even close to a quartering angle and nothing that, I mean, nothing broadside. He's walked straight to me from 80 yards all the way to that water. He's 10 yards from me. And I'm 15 foot up in the ladder stand in wide open hardwoods. So it was pretty tense. Um, and he's a shooter. I mean, he's a cull buck. He had a big dagger on one side with a crazy kicker point and a five on the other side. It's a nice buck. And, and so I'm standing there waiting on him to give me any opportunity to draw my bow and potentially give me a shot angle. And I've been thinking ever since Christmas when I – had my situation with this other buck. I've been thinking, you know, in my mind, I know what happened. I know that it wasn't a target panic type of issue. I didn't rush the shot. I just 
didn't make sure the deer stopped. It's, you know, something you kind of totally different. But in my mind, yeah. I'm thinking, what's going to happen next time I have a shot? Am I? Is this going to mess me up? Am I going to get the yips? Am I going to rush the shot? Am I going to get target panic? Am I going to get something because of this anxiety I have? Because I haven't lost a deer in a long time. And, um, you know, so I've been thinking about what's going to happen. You know? So back to the deer. He's standing there, and he's... He's a an older deer, and he's very, he's not spooky, but he's just very methodical. He's going really slow, and um, he finally makes the decision, from best I could tell, he decided he was going to go around the, his left, would have been to his to the right as I'm looking at him. He's going to, he slowly starts turning, and he's going to go around the water, and there's a big tree right there on the right side of the water, and when he gets quarter into me, and he's, he's getting on around the broadside. His head kind of gets down, and he kind of goes back to, sm- I guess, smell or grab a bite or something. And I had my opportunity, and I, I started drawing real slow. And as I'm drawing, I don't, he, I don't know if he saw something or he heard something, but he just turned all the way around, completely facing back, but to me, completely in a perfect line back the way he come from and took one step. Hmm. He didn't spook. He just, instead of slowly turning and giving me a pause at a broadside or even a quarter and away, he just turned all the way around 180 degrees and took one step forward and stood there looking around left and right. And then put his head back down and walked 100 yards straight away from me with his butt. And didn't present any shot. And, but... What I was able to do with this, because a lot of things went through my mind in this. I thought about some of what you talked about while I go, Scott. I wasn't, because I'm trying to work the camera and because I really can't move, because I'm not very, I'm not in a great position for the way this deer came. The stand was set up for the deer to cross me left and right, not for them to come straight to me. You know, so I can't really move. My feet aren't in a good position. I know I'm going to have to kind of twist at the waist to get, to get my anchor point right. I'm thinking about Mm -hmm. that. And I'm, you know, everything I'm going to have to do, but what this afforded me the opportunity to do is as he walked away, I kept a pin on him in case he decided to turn and give me a good quarter and away or turn broadside. And I was able to hold that pin on him, just like we've been talking about. And I picked different spots on him because he didn't just walk away. He'd take two steps and put his head down and take a bite and turn and look left and right. I mean, I held back for as long as I possibly could. And it, it gave me the opportunity. I felt really good about it. When he walked off, you know, I've he got to 50 yards and something caught his attention. He was real interested and in kind of looking ahead of him to the left, and I was able to let down without bothering him. And, you know, but while all this happened, I was able to come to the, you know, I was, I was very confident that if he had given me a shot, I was going to drill him. Because yep. I was completely settled. I could hold that pin on any spot. I held it on the tip of his tail. I held it, you know, different spots I picked out on him as he was walking. When he'd stop still, I would anchor down, you know, keep my finger off the trigger and hold it right on him. And I was kind of practicing. That's like, because if he stops and gives me a shot, I'm going to put it on him and shoot him, you know. And um, so I didn't kill the deer, but considering all this anxiety I've been having about what my next experience is going to be like because of what I just went through, 
it did make me feel a lot better. And I went through a lot of these processes you're talking about, and I felt really confident. If he ever gave me a shot, I was going to kill him. Yeah. Yeah, because he, he never he never gave you he never presented a shot that you could make the whole time. Nope. He got to when he got to fifty two yards, he turned broadside one time, and I just I wasn't going to do that. So did he did he did he rack your did you rack your nerves? Did you get some did you get some nerves on that one? No, not really. No, well, that's a good thing. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean that anyway. Would. I just did. He was shaking all the time, thinking if, if this happens, it's going to be a done deal, and a lot of well, people I, don't. You know, I know what you're saying, and I guess in my situation in this, I've I've been fortunate in my hunting career, and I've had a really good year this year, and I've I've killed three mature bucks on camera with my bow, and this deer was a cold buck. He wasn't a huge trophy buck, and I knew that when I saw him 150 yards down through the swamp. He was a deer that needed to be shot in terms of age, you know, deer management, but it wasn't a deer that was elevating my nerves. Now I was excited. I was, you know, I'm a hunter, you know, that's what I'm right. out there for. But, um, I didn't have any nerve issues with any of that. And I, I really, you know, it, it wasn't a, it wasn't a big deal to me in, in that regard, but, um, it was a cool, it was, it was kind of a good little, it was a good little experience because I walked away from it going, you know, I'm, I'm good. Um, I've got even more clear, conscious on how that other situation played out and you know i, I know uh, a little bit more and felt a little bit better about it so because i was I, i've dealt with target panic not i've never luckily i've never dealt with it like kyler has where i've had to kind of endure um working through it in a couple of of, of live shot situations but i've dealt with it where you know um I could feel that it was affecting me and I was scared I was going to make mistakes and, and I was really worried that was going to happen not because I hit the deer in the guts because of target panic but because just and Kyler knows and, and I guess a lot of people that listen to our podcast week after week know this was kind of a big deal I you know this this deer you know really gave me the run around and I finally got a shot at him and it took four days to find him it was kind of you know I was really beat up I was beating myself up about it and I was really worried that was going to happen and um so uh I would add to that I don't know if you've ever done this Scott Tyler I'm not sure do you shoot a caliper or do you shoot a thumb I shoot a wrist strap caliper yeah okay well I shoot a thumb release and one thing that helped me a couple years ago um, I had made a couple of shots that I knew I got the deer, recovered the deer, everything was okay, but I could tell that my execution wasn't as good and, and I wasn't shooting good, you know, in practice and stuff. And one thing that a, a friend of mine helped me out with, and it's carried over a long time, just that, that's, you know, period of time where I started doing this and this, this friend of mine let me borrow, he had a thumb release that was very, very similar to mine. And it was set where it was got it had a really really hard pull, like it was hard enough that you couldn't you couldn't punch it. If you just punched it the way someone with target panic would, it wouldn't go off. Like it, you had to pull it. You know, the only way to make it go off was to wrap your thumb around it and apply a ton of pressure the way you're supposed to. And I went through a a period of time there trying to get over that that issue I was dealing with then. And what I would do is, as what we've talked about, I would draw back and I would hold the pin on my target 
as long as I could comfortably without getting too fatigued to, you know, mess up my, my ability to hold steady and I would hold it there as long as I could. And then I was using that release where I couldn't punch it. I had to just, I had to slowly squeeze it and I had to really pull it. And I shot with that thing for two or three weeks. And after that, man, I was, I was as good as I've ever shot a bow and arrow for a long time after that. That really helped. Hmm. And that does help out a lot because you, you can't hammer the release and make it go off. And, and that's, in a lot of people's situation, that's one of the issues. And locking up, locking up on a target is one of the biggest ones. A lot of people will draw back and come up with a pin and then get stuck. And it's just like Tyler said, it's like a hundred pound weight sitting on a bow. They just, they got the thumb on the trigger. They anticipating the shot. Anticipating the shot is, is what's going on in their mind. When this pin gets to where it's going to go, I'm going to hammer this release. And so they lock up on it, and they don't want to don't want to lift that pin up because they know that as soon as it does, I'm going to hammer. You know, and it's a metal block that when it gets there, I'm shooting. So the the way to cure it is to just stand in front of a target and put the pin on it, and don't fire the shot. Don't even put your thumb on a release. Just Stand there, draw back, get in your anchor position, and hold it for 10, 15 seconds and let down. And then relax them and then draw back and do the same thing. Do that 25, 30 times to, to let your mind relax and say, it's okay. You'll see that pin sit in the center of the target or on a spot of a deer, whether you're shooting a 3D target or you're shooting, you know, your outdoor, you know, uh, deer target or whatever, whatever target it may be, whether it be a spot target or whatever. It's okay to let the pin float on that target and relax because it, the whole thing is it's, 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 it's an anxiety built to watching that pin. Not so much the release is more of, of watching. So there's, there's so many videos out there. John Dudley is one of the greatest archers that's out there, and he has videos on YouTube that you can go on, and he explains this in detail. And he goes as far as taking a, a target and cutting it into the size of your scope or the size of your sight on your bow and taping it on there. And you, when you draw back, you actually look in your pin sitting in the center of the target. Hmm. When you draw back and you anchor in your position, the pin's already there. And it will, it will relax your mind that it's okay. You can, watch, you can sit there and watch it. It's not going anywhere. You don't have to hammer on the release because... The, the pin's already in the center of the target. And that's, that's, that's the hardest thing for a lot of people to get by. I shoot with a lot of great shooters, and from time to time, somebody will, you know, develop this. It's not a disease. It's just something that comes up. Yeah. You know, I, I have a friend. He was the same way. He would come up to the bottom of the target and then lock up. And he would just kind of bounce the, the bow up and shoot. And it works for a little while, but then it gets to the point where that, that – that lockup will get lower and lower and yeah. lower, you know, and you just bouncing more and more and and it's terrible. Yeah. You know, it, it's debilitating. You can't, it gets to the point where it doesn't work anymore. Let me ask you, let me so, ask you this. Um, you know, I, I've, I've kind of pinpointed confidence, uh, or lack of confidence is my issue this year. Um, do you believe that, um, equipment changes have any effect on uh, overcoming this? No, so, you know, that's that's the biggest side, too. It's like, okay, you know, and you were talking about a buddy said, hey, try this release. 
So that's, that's a temporary fix. Yeah. You know, some people say, oh, you know why you haven't talked? Well, you know why you're having that problem? Because you're shooting a caliber release. You need to change to a thumb. Yep. This, this will help you out. Well, it's, it's going to be a temporary. It's going to be a temporary fix to a problem that won't go away. Yeah. No, well, you know, you can change your sight. You can change stabilize. You can change release. But the bottom the bottom line is I can't sit and let my and, and let that pin relax on the target and, and, and pull through a shot execution. That's the whole issue. It's not what type of release you use or what type of sight you have or what type of bow you're shooting. You know, everybody has their little, and you talk to a friend and he's like, Oh, well, I got, I, you know, I got a remedy for it. Yeah. <clears throat> it's something that you have to work through. And, and one of the ways of doing it is, is to take the sight off the bow, get up to our target close and, and just start learning how to execute a good shot with, without a release that you're comfortable with. You can keep changing to, you can change to 20 different releases. It's still going to come back over and over and over because yeah. once you get comfortable with that release, you're going to come back to the same process. And it takes, on an average, it takes 21 days to reprogram your mind. Yeah. So, you know, if you, if, if you change one day to another release and you, and you go back to 20 yards and you start shooting again, What's well, a new process? You got to relearn that process. Well, that's going to that's going to go back to the same issue that you had before. So you have to actually learn whatever equipment that you're going to use and you're comfortable with. That's what you have to practice with. Because when you you know in a situation as you were just saying, when when a deer comes up to you and doesn't present a shot, all of a sudden it does. You got to make that shot. Whatever equipment that you yeah, that you're comfortable with, that that shot has to happen now. You know, and, and so what you were just talking about, deer came in. To, uh, uh, you have more opportunities to. You, you, let's let's take a guy that that doesn't hunt much, goes out on the weekend with his buddies, all by himself, okay, and hasn't seen any deer all year. Sitting in the stand, all of a sudden, a deer walks up twenty yards to the right. He's a, he's a right hand shooter. Yeah. He's got to turn all the way around and shoot. That's the most uncomfortable shot that you can get. If it's on the left, you can turn around and shoot behind you. You can shoot whatever, but when it comes to the right, now you got to turn your body. You got to, you know. So it, it's a practice thing. Practice. Everybody wants to stand, you know, um, with an open position and, and shoot straight at the target in the backyard. Nobody faces away from the target, turns around and shoots behind them, or turns that body and shoots. They don't shoot in awkward positions. They don't practice shooting awkward positions because if you're shooting at spots or you're shooting at a target or you're shooting in a tournament, you don't have to do this. But when you're bow hunting, there's never a, a perfect form of perfect shot. So you got to practice all these different scenarios, sit in a chair yeah. and shoot in a chair in your backyard at a target, turn the chair around the opposite way and turn around and shoot the bow the opposite way. It makes it incredibly difficult. So that's where practice comes in. Can I pull this shot off? You know, doing this. But with the target panic issue, it, it takes a while to reprogram your mind that it's okay to watch that pin on a spot. Pick a spot, put that pin there, and watch it. And and you know, a lot of people think that if if, if I put the and when I put the pin there, I want that pin to come to a complete stop before I fire a shot. There's no such thing. Nobody ever has a pin come completely still. At some point in time, the pin will come to a stop, 
And, you know, of course, you want that shot that to, to execute at that point. But then it doesn't always happen. And then it'll start moving again. And it'll move and it'll move and it'll get, you know, really outrageously difficult to shoot. It'll, it'll move all over the place. But if you still pull through the shot, a lot of times it'll go right down. It'll go right down the center of that circle you go in. So what I, what, I, what I teach a lot of people is just let the pin float. Try to draw a circle. It don't have to sit dead still. Nobody can hold it dead still. Just let the pin float and pull through the shot. Just let yourself, let your mind relax and just watch the pin float and pull through the shot. Well, Tyler, you ask about, you ask about the equipment thing. I would say on the opposite side of what you ask, and, and I, I guess I, I left this out of what I was saying when I was talking about uh, the time when I used the, the harder trigger release to kind of get over it. One of the big problems that I was having there in that, that, uh, that time was I had changed to a new bow and I wasn't really comfortable with it. And that's yeah. what was causing it because what started as this bow that was a lot different from what I was used to shooting with, uh, you know, a different kind of draw cycle, a different kind of back wall. And what, what, what started as I didn't trust the bow. Because mm-hmm. I, I couldn't get a smooth release out of it. I felt like it was jumpy. I felt like it was going to go off when I didn't want it to. Right. It started with that. And by the time I worked through that and got comfortable enough with the bow to really shoot it, now I've got target panic because of all right. of that. So that's, I, I didn't, I, I, I left, I shouldn't have left that part out of that example because it was a big part of it. So, you know, uh, that is, uh, it goes back to a conversation that we have a lot on this podcast when we're talking about, you know, bows and brands and brand loyalty and all that, you got to have, I mean, for all of these reasons, you got to shoot a bow that you're comfortable with. You can't just shoot anything. Confidence in your equipment. Absolutely. And and I agree with you that, that equipment changes, um, won't fix target panic, purely just target panic, but they can cause target panic. Right. Because I've had it happen to me. And I ended up not shooting the bow for very much longer because of it, because it just I couldn't I couldn't get past it. Yeah, you have to have confidence in your equipment. You know, you have to have confidence in your, in, in in what you're using. And a change overnight by changing a release the night before you're going to go hunt is a bad idea oh, because yeah. it changes the anchor position. It changes. A lot of people says, "Oh, well, you know what? I'm just going to change. I'm going to just take this different release with me to the woods." Well, if you haven't proofed that on a target before you went out there. That changes everything. That will change your impact where you shoot. So if you haven't shot enough arrows to make sure that the sight's going to work, because if you change a different manufacturer release or a different type of release, it may change your anchor point. It may change your impact point. And a lot of people don't understand that. They just think, well, a release is a release. Well, yeah. no. The jaw and the release is in a different position. So it's going to change your impact. Yeah, you know, you just can't grab your buddy's release and say, "I'm gonna try yours today, and I'm gonna take this in the woods." That can make a six-inch difference in left or right where you're gonna hit. Not so much up and down, but it's gonna change left or right. That could be a vital shot or a gut shot or a miss. You know, so you, whatever equipment you've been practicing with is kind of what you want to stick with when you go in the woods. Just like if you shoot in competition. The night before competition, you don't just grab another release and walk in and say, "All right, I'm going to shoot this." Yeah. It's not going to work. Let me ask you. you know? Let me ask you this, Scott. Um, one of the things that that I'm um, uh, uh, I was about to lie and say one of the things that I've been doing 
one of the things that I need to start doing is, um, you know, when I get to my shop in the morning, a lot of times it's like, sometimes it's 6.15, 7 o'clock at the latest. And sometimes uh, it's, just, it's gray light, like sun's barely up. What do you think about getting in the habit of making one shot in the morning? Just one single shot at different yardages every day. Absolutely. There there was a guy named Sean Padgett that he has a bunch of videos. And he has, not videos, I'm sorry. He has uh, a bunch of information on the internet. He was a renowned 3D shooter. And that's what he used to talk about. He said he would, one morning he would wake up, not feeling so good. He would take his bow in one arrow and go out in the yard to his target and put that one arrow on and fire one, try to fire one good shot, try to make this one shot happen. Mm-hmm. Not sit there and shoot 40 or 50 arrows and say, okay, well, the number 40 was a good one. It was just making one shot happen. Yeah. But when, it, you know, I, I say this all the time, practice is the best thing you can do. Practice and, and, and uh, I understand a lot of people don't have a lot of time to go out there and go shoot 60 hours. You know, if you can go out and shoot 10, 15 hours a day, it takes 15 minutes. You know, if you can go out and shoot a handful of arrows, and put it away. You know, and the next day or the next time in the afternoon, you get a minute, go out there and practice and, and just practice, you know, firing good executions. Shoot good arrows. But, Make it difficult. Don't make it. Don't stand on a line, and and make it easy on you. Stand at an angle, and shoot at a different angle. Yeah. Shoot where you're facing backwards, or shooting sitting in a chair, because when you're bow hunting, you know when, when you shoot in the line of a tournament, you, you, it, most of the time it's twenty yards. Even if it's three D out to sixty yards, you're going to stand comfortable. You're going to pick your, you know, you're going to pick your foot placement. You're going to draw back and you're going to get in your anchor position. You're going to put the pin on it and just pull through a shot. Well, when you're in the woods, that doesn't happen. Yeah. They, they don't come out right in front of you, right in the lane that you pick, right in the spot that you hope that they're going to come. They may come from behind or they may walk by, and eventually you'll get them to stop. And you're going to have a difficult, you know, and you're shooting downward most of the time because you're in a tree. So, you know, you have to practice these kind of things. And most people don't. Most people just, you know, pull the bow out before the season, and mostly your bow hunters. You know, pull them out, dust them, knock the dust off of it, grab a couple of arrows, go back out, and then you all shoot a handful. Oh, yeah, I'm good. I'm good for the season. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, but <clears throat> that's not – they don't always have target time. <laughs> these, yeah. these are guys that just go out there and hammer release, and it worked okay, and all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wing it. Yeah. But when, when, the, when the target panic sits in – and you pull the bow back and you lift up the pin and you can't get that pin to go on a target. That's where the work begins. Yeah. Well, um, man, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm personally out of questions. I've learned a lot. I've got a lot of stuff to work on. Locke, do you have any other questions for Scott? No, I think we covered it pretty good. Yeah. I, I, um, I'd like to do a recap episode with you, Scott. Like I'd like to do one, in a couple of weeks or two or three weeks from now, maybe like a part two of this where we talk about, you know, what's helped, what's worked, what didn't work. Um, what, uh, you know, what maybe think f- determine entirely what the root cause was of it or, 
you know, what could have been a catalyst. Um, but, uh, man, I really appreciate your, your, uh, your time. Really appreciate you coming on and talking to us and me and all of our listeners about this because it's something that I think a lot of people don't even know what they have. Like they had a lot of people that just think that they're, they're struggling and brought a lot of light to their situation. And hopefully we can kind of get them out of the, the darkness of this whole thing. Cause it sucks. Get out of this slump. Yeah. Get out of that slump. Yeah. Yeah. But, and, um, it, and it, it creeps up on, on the best of them, you know, it keeps and creeps up on the best of us. Uh, I should say it, it, it's something that will just come along and, and Learning how to get through it. It, it. When it happens, people are like, oh, man, I got target panic. I'm done. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm, it, it's the end of the world. It's not. There, are, there are processes to get through it. And it's really, not, and that's why, you know, I, when I, I said that message to you. With some coaching, it can actually be fixed pretty quickly, actually. Oh, yeah. You know, it, it's just a little mental block that you got to get past. And the biggest thing is settling your mind. To, to know that, hey, it's okay to let that pin float on the target and, and execute a shot. Yeah. You don't have to, you don't have to hop the pin up there and hammer down on the trigger, which is a lot of, what most, what a lot of people do. You know, I'll lock up on the target and just drop, drop the bow down and shoot. You know, it, it, of course we know that's not going to end up well. Yeah. So, but you know, the, the shooting in no man's land, it happens. You know, when you, when you, when you execute a good shot and gear drops and it goes through, happen sometimes you know and it's unfortunately we don't get to recover an animal that's out of our control but if you know that you drop the bow down and fire the shot well then there's neat there's work to be done yeah absolutely well um man i, I really appreciate your time scott and uh let's stay in touch i'll kind of keep you in the loop on my progress okay i can tell you this i'm i'm in the new orleans area and if somebody's in the new orleans area and needs some help and want to work through this um, you know, they can they can find me on Facebook nice. under my name, Scott Poche. If you're in the Covington area, um, there's um, American Hunter is yeah. the bow shop out there. Absolutely. Joshua Gerard is a competitive shooter, and he's very good also at helping people. He's very knowledgeable, and he can work with you also, you know, and, 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 get, and help people out. And and if you have a bow shop wherever, you know, if it's somebody in Shreveport or anywhere in Louisiana, if they have this issue, go to your local shop and and don't be afraid to walk in and say, hey, man, look, I got target panic. Because yeah. it happens to the best. A lot of people just, they kind of like, man, you know, I'm, I'm just stuck in a slump. I don't know what to do to fix it. Go talk to people. You know, most of your bow shops and everybody in there, it's a common ground. Everybody's looking out for each other. So there's somebody in there that will help you out. And you don't want to talk to just a guy that's in there shooting because he's gonna he's probably gonna have bad advice. I'd go to the to yeah. the to the pro shop and talk to the guy who owns the shop yeah. or to one of the competitive shooters that are in there that you know and and say, hey, can you help me out with this? Because most of the time they'll put their bow down and say, absolutely. Yeah, everybody's willing to help. You know, so or look up a coach. You know, there there's coaches all over Louisiana. Actually, in every state, there's a there's a list of coaches that that will that will work through it with you and and help you fix the problem. And and it's it's really it's not something that you're going to live with the rest of your life. It's not a disease that you get. It's curable. It it can be fixed. And most of the time, in in a short period of time, you're back on track. Yeah. Well, uh, look, 
I love the information. It's good talking with you. I really think uh, think you know a lot of people are going to relate to this one. A lot of people are trying to pull themselves out of a slump. And uh, you know, big 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 thank you from me and all of Louisiana Bowhunter for your insight, man. Absolutely, glad I can help. All right, well, um, yeah, let's wrap it up, guys. Um, Locke, you don't have anything else? No, man, I'm good. Okay. I appreciate it, Scott. A lot of good information. Yes, sir. Yeah, Scott, appreciate you, buddy. Y'all have a good night. Good luck catching the fish. Yes, sir. All right, man. Good luck. All right, man. See ya. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast. If you have anybody you'd like to hear on the show, reach out to us at info at louisianabowhunter.com. And if you want to help support Louisiana Bowhunter, go by your local archery shop and pick up some merchandise. If you don't have any at your local shop, let us know and we'll reach out to them. Or pick up your gear at louisianabowhunter.com and we'll ship it out to you same day. See you next week.